Good morning. We're glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. We want to especially uh, say thank you to all our veterans and military families. Um, if you served, uh, please uh, know that we appreciate you. We honor you. Also, please stop by the kiosk in the, in the foyer. We have a gift for you this morning. Uh, and so we're so glad uh, to have you with us this morning. We honor you. Last week, Pastor Sarah talked to us about a story from Matthew chapter 22 where some Sadducees created this ridiculous scenario and then challenged Jesus with a very unusual question, whose wife will she be? And uh, if you didn't, if you missed that sermon, go back and watch it. It's worth watching because uh, it's, I'm just going to leave that tension in the air. If you're like, what? Whose wife will she be? What? Go back and watch this. Like, you need to, you need to go back and, uh, but it, it turns out that that encounter with Jesus between the Sadducees was the, the last of a series of confrontations that we get in the Gospel of Matthew and also recorded in the Gospel of Luke between Jesus and the religious elite that were frustrated and threatened by Jesus, and they were trying to find a way to take him out, to get rid of him by any means necessary. And so this morning, we're going to kind of do the opposite. We're going to go backwards through Scripture, and uh, we're going to look at the story that came just before that story. And uh, we're going to consider what does it mean for us to give to Caesar today. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Luke chapter 20. Uh, the Pastor Sarah used the, the account from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all biographies of Jesus. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. They, they follow a similar path. And so, so we're going to look at the, at the version from the Gospel of Luke. Let me get you caught up on what's happening in the bigger story, just so you have the context of what's happening. Uh, Jesus, in, in, at this point in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been making his way to Jerusalem. It's a big part of the story of Luke. Jesus is always going towards Jerusalem. And he finally makes it there, and after a dramatic entry, you may remember the Palm Sunday and the, the palm fronds and the donkey and the whole bit. That's the dramatic entry into, into Jerusalem. Jesus goes into the temple, and the religious, the temple is the religious and spiritual center of the whole, uh, of the whole nation. And he angrily chases out uh, the corrupt money changers and vendors who were cheating the people. And then Luke 19 tells us this, verses uh, 47 to 48 says this, after that, he, that is Jesus, taught daily in the temple, but the leading priest, the teachers of the religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him but they could not think of anything because the people hung on every word he said. So this is the context. Some very powerful and positioned people wanted to kill Jesus. The problem was everyone liked him too much, and so that makes it difficult. So that's the context of what's happening. And then we get this series of kind of confrontations. Jesus is teaching in the, in the temple, and the religious leader coming, and they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to find a way to get rid of him. And uh, that's where our, our text comes this morning. Starting in verse 20, it says this. This is the part that uh, we're really talking about. Starting in verse 20, it says, watching for their opportunities, the leaders, that is the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men. They tried to get Jesus to say something that they could report to the Roman governor so he would be arrested, so they could arrest Jesus. Teacher, they said, we know that you speak and teach what is right and, there's, and you are not influenced by what others think. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now I have to know, this is a trick question. This is a trap, if there ever was one. It's important to keep in mind here that the religious elite are actively trying to track, 
trap, and trick Jesus. Right? The, as the story unfolded, uh, we see this growing tension between Jesus and those in charge of the religious systems that, that uh, were, were in place. It kept a, a very few people very powerful and very comfortable and very influential. And Jesus was threatening that, and they didn't like that at all. And the relationship has gotten so bad that they are actively trying to kill Jesus. There's, there's this, this whole thing, this whole story is dripping with irony. Jesus is in the temple, the place where God comes to dwell with his people to bring justice and mercy and peace. And the people who are in charge of that are trying to find a way to kill this guy. Right? Not just some guy, but God himself. They're trying to kill him. At this point, when you read the story, you go, well, this is completely broken. And here they come. They, they, have, a, they have this this desire to kill Jesus. The problem is they couldn't kill Jesus. They had no right to do that. They were powerful, but they weren't that powerful. And so the only way they could kill Jesus is they needed to find some way to bring a charge against him with the Roman authorities. If they could get him tripped up, the Romans were happy to kill people all day, and they had the power and the authority to do it, but they just had to find a reason to get the Romans to do it. So the question that they asked Jesus is designed to either discredit him with the people or indict him with the Romans. So they ask him this trip question. Here's the trap that they set for Jesus. After buttering up with a few compliments, right, if anyone comes to you and says, you're the best, right? I know this as a parent. My kids come to me and say, dad, you're so great. You're so smart. You always do what's right. You're kind. You always take good care of me. What do you want? Like, just get out my wallet. What do you need? Come on, right? I mean, that's what they do. Teacher, you're wise. We know you're wise and you're not influenced by anyone. You only speak the truth, right? They, they spring the trap. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And this is as loaded a question as you can find. They are convinced there is no way for Jesus to answer this without getting himself into some pretty serious trouble. So here's the trap. We think, we're pretty convinced there are about three kinds of taxes that the average Jewish person in the first century would pay. They would pay something similar to income tax. So uh, tax on the produce of their fields, the Romans collected uh, somewhere between a tenth uh, and a fifth of everything they produced. So the Romans would come along and say, how much grain did you have? We'll take our cut. We're familiar with this sort of tax around April. Um, they would pay a custom tax. So whenever they, whenever they brought goods into a city, you want to bring your stuff into the city to sell, we're going to take two to five percent of all the grain or whatever you bring it into the city. They, they would tax them that way. Uh, think sales tax. Uh, but they also paid uh, a, what we, a census tax or a poll tax. One denarius, one day's wage, was collected for each adult whenever a census was taken. So imagine if you know, every 10 years the U.S. does the census and the census workers come and they say, we'd like you to fill out this form. If they also said, and you have to give us $100. Remember in the story of Luke in the, the birth narrative where there's Mary and Joseph have to go to Bethlehem because there was a census? That's this. The Romans, did, they weren't so much concerned about who was living in the country. They were concerned that everyone got paid them their money. So that's, that's the deal. This is the tax in question, the poll tax. And we think that's the question they're asking. Should we have to pay this tax? So imagine if Jesus says, no. No, we shouldn't have to pay our taxes to Caesar. I mean, that is best case scenario for these guys. They are trying to get Jesus taken out. And if Jesus says, nope, don't pay your taxes, they just march right up to the, to the Roman government offices and say, hey, you know that, that guy who's coming around, that Messiah figure that everyone's so popular? You know he's telling people not to pay their taxes? Bada bing, bada boom, we're done. He's crucified as a, a, a traitor, and that's it. This is best case scenario for them. Uh, this is the smoking gun that they need. But imagine if Jesus said, 
yeah, yeah, we probably need to pay our taxes, guys. Remember that Jesus was held up as the long-awaited Messiah, which he was, just in a very different way than what everyone expected. Remember when Jesus entered the city and people came out and they threw a parade for him? They celebrated that he was the conquering and liberating king? Uh, you can read that story. You can just go back a chapter in Luke 19 and read that story. But, but conquering and liberating kings don't come with the message of, well, continue to pay your taxes to the old government. Like, I've set you free. I mean, not from taxes, but like that would, there's, a, there's, a, there's an incongruity there that would, would uh, really hurt Jesus. If, if Jesus supported the Roman authorities, then it undercuts his position with the people. I think it's important to point out that Jesus doesn't seem to be concerned about this at all. Jesus has nothing to prove, and he's not trying to be the Messiah in the way people think he's the Messiah. But to the people who are trying to trick him, this is the dilemma they've put him on. You either say, no, don't pay your taxes, and the Romans kill you, or you say, yes, pay your taxes, and the people abandon you, and then the Romans kill you. We're done. They've got it. So this is the trap. So how does Jesus answer the question? Jesus has a brilliant answer. So let's look at what he says Picking up in verse 23, it says this. He saw through their trickery. There's just a, there's a whole mini sermon on that, okay? Jesus sees through our trickery. <laughs> okay, just, just so, so when you come to God and say, God, you're so good and kind, and I know you're wise, and, but you're really mad and frustrated. God, how can you? Jesus sees through your trickery. Just be honest with God, okay? So that's the mini sermon. I'll get back to it. He saw through the trickery, and he said, show me a Roman coin whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So they failed to trap him by what they said in front of the people. Instead, they were amazed by his answer and they became silent. Jesus knew it was a trap. So he didn't say yes or no. He didn't give either answer. Instead, he asked to see a coin. Matthew tells us that he asked to see specifically the coin used for the tax. Show me the coin you're talking about. Show me the thing that, that you have. And so they, they pull it out. They have a coin, and, and they pull it out. And it's almost certainly that coin. Uh, that's a, that's a, 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 a denarius from Tiberius Caesar, right? And that's, that's probably the coin that, that they showed him. Not that specific one. That's a picture. But you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> Someone's going to go home, but man, Pastor Brian has the coin that Jesus held. Almost certainly a coin that looked just like that one. It's a picture of Tiberius Caesar on the coin, and the inscription reads, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. There's all kinds of problems with this coin for a first century Jew. Uh, there's the claim of divinity for Caesar. He's saying, I'm Caesar, I'm the son of the divine, and I am divine, right? This is a claim to divinity. Um, there's the fact that there's an image of a person on it, and, and so the second commandment about not making any graven image, so there's, there's all sorts of problems in, in, in the Jewish mind about that. There's the, the simple fact that this is a Roman coin brought into the temple. Remember, Jesus is in the temple teaching, and, uh, and the, the religious elite, they would not have been okay with a Roman coin in the temple. And so when they ask him a question and Jesus says, you got one of those coins? If they pull it out of their pocket, there's all sorts of problems there, right? And, and just the, the whole tax thing, the fact that this is the coin that they use to pay the taxes, there's all sorts of problems there. So Jesus says, hey, you got one of those coins and they pull it out and then they've got it. And Jesus asked his own question. He said, Who's, whose picture is that? 
and his opponents must admit that it's Caesar's image and inscription on the coin. And we get to, to Jesus' answer. Well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But he wasn't done there. Sometimes I'm glad when Jesus doesn't stop. Sometimes it's like, oh, God, you're going to keep saying stuff, aren't you? Okay. I don't know if you've ever prayed and I've got to answer you and say, can we just stop there? No, you're going to keep going. Okay, well, here we go. He keeps going. He says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And then he says, and give to God what belongs to God. Essentially, Jesus says, since you benefit from Caesar's coin um, and, and with the, the roads and security and the government, since you use his coin, you should probably give back to Caesar what belongs to him. You're using it. You're benefiting from it. So, you know, give it back. And importantly, you should remember then also to pay God his due. And so Jesus' opponents are left speechless. What do you, how do you trick this guy? They are caught holding the bag, holding the coin bag. Literally, they have the coin. Jesus says, if you're going to use the coin, then you're going to benefit from it. Then you've got to give it back. Jesus leaves them uh, speechless, but he also leaves them with two unasked questions. Why wouldn't you, or with this one, with this unasked questions, why wouldn't you pay your taxes to Caesar when you obviously use Caesar's coin? If you, don't want to use, if you don't want to pay Caesar's tax, then don't use his coin. But you use his coin, so use his, his, then pay his tax. And the religious leaders are unable to trap Jesus, and the people are amazed at his teaching, and this trap backfired on them big time. But this story leaves us with two unanswered questions, two important questions. What do we owe to Caesar, and what do we owe to God? These are the things that Jesus told us to do. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And well, we don't owe anything to Tiberius. We do have a government. We do have a system that is in place. And, uh, and when it comes to Caesar, I think there are some things that we could think about what we owe. And so today on this weekend, as we go into the 4th of July and a celebration of, of freedom in our country, I think it's valuable for us to say, what does it mean to be people of faith, to be followers of Jesus in a country? What do we owe to Caesar? So I want to offer you three things. When it comes to Caesar, when it comes to the government, we have to pay. It's not too far to apply this directly to us today. We ask, is it right to pay taxes? And Jesus still answers, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. So I hope you weren't coming today for a, this is how to get out of paying your taxes sermon because this is not the one you came for. Pay your taxes. You still benefit from roads and schools and security and freedom that has been secured by brave men and women who serve this country and this government. And there's a lot of great advantages that you have simply by living in this great nation. So as a follower of Jesus, I believe it is scriptural and important for, for us to willingly do our part to support those in government authority. You may say, well, I don't support everything that the government does with our tax money. I don't know if you know this, but the IRS doesn't care. They don't care. <laughs> there is no box to check. Uh, that's, not, that's not how it works, so pay your taxes. And if it helps, just as you, as you pay your taxes, it's just all of your tax money goes to support teachers and firefighters. That's, uh, other people pay for the weird stuff. I'm just paying teachers. That's, that's my whole deal. So if that helps, do that. Uh, as Christians, you have an obligation to be honest and direct when it comes to paying your taxes. So Romans 13, 7 says this, give to everyone what you owe them, pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. So this morning we gave respect and honor to those who it was due, our, our veterans, but I, I think, yeah, every April we should just send this out, pay your taxes. 
It doesn't really get much clearer than that. Pay your taxes. That's what the Bible says. And not only do we need to pay, but we also need to obey. I was going to say play along to kind of keep the alliteration going, but it was just too much of a stretch for me. So pay and then obey. There's more to that passage that we just read from Romans chapter 13. We read verse 7, but I want to jump back to verse 1 and, and pick up a bigger context. It says this in Romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in position of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Dropping down to, into the middle of verse 4, it says, they, that is the government authorities, are God's servant sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for the, for the same reason. For government workers need to be paid, and they are serving God when what they do. Give to everyone what you owe, pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those in authority. You may not agree with the, with those in government, but that does not give you the right to ignore or disobey them. Scripture is clear. Here's what the Bible tells us. Authority comes from God, and it is God who has set up those in government, and if we rebel against them, we are rebelling against God, and that's sobering to think about, and I understand that in, in our American system, we have uh, an ability to participate in government, and we can, we can say, hey, I don't agree with that idea, and I want to find people who agree with me more and get them, and, and that's participation. That's not rebelling against, and that gets tricky, but, but the Bible is clear. We don't get to rebel against those in authority. Uh, obviously, we're instructed to put God and his commandments first, so if the, go if the government ordered something that is contrary to God's laws, we would honor God first. And if you say, is this, maybe that's what's going on here, I would encourage you to read the Old Testament book of Daniel, especially chapters three and six, for stories about that kind of holy resistance. Uh, but that's where statues are being set up and people are being forced to worship. And so, so obviously, we're supposed to honor the government. Jesus is our king. And uh, when that becomes a direct confrontation, we, we honor God first. But that's pretty rare and, um, and pretty extreme in scripture. So not only do we pay our taxes, uh, we also need to obey the laws of the land. And then finally, we should pray. We should pray for those in authority. And the choir and orchestra this morning already reminded of, a, of, this, of this responsibility, and they gave us an opportunity to put it into practice. And so you were already encouraged to whisper a prayer for those in authority. But let me tell you what the Bible says about it. So 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 4 says this. Paul says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for the kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. In this time of political division and conflict, I challenge you, I beseech you to pray for America and the leaders of this country. Even every time there's a news story about what some candidate or leader said or did, I encourage you to pray. I hope you may already do that, but I hope you can come up with something a little more profound and substantial than, dear God, don't let that person be our president. I mean, that is praying for them, but not, not exactly what I'm going for. Although a perfectly legitimate prayer. Maybe just, maybe just add something, give it, give it a little more. 
Each time you see a bumper sticker or a yard sign, would you say a prayer for those who are tasked with the responsibility of leading this country and this state and this city and, and the district that you're in and all, all of those who lead? Would you just, you know, it's, it's that, that habit of every time you, you drive by the PSO truck, would you, would you just say, you know, thank God for those men and women who served so difficult to restore us. Every time you see a, a, a bumper sticker, every time you see the story, just say, you know, God, those are really complicated problems. And I'm just going to pray you give wisdom to those who are in a position to lead uh, this country and this state. And so I encourage you to pray. So when it comes to Caesar, pay, obey, and pray. That leaves us with one last question to consider this morning. What do we owe to God? Because Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And that's, that's kind of a simple, that's a pretty simple equation to run. It might be hard to do, but it's not hard to figure out. But then Jesus says, and give to God what belongs to God. So what do we owe to God? Jesus argued that the denarius belonged to Caesar because it had his image stamped on it. It bore his image. But Genesis 1.26 tells us, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We bear the image of God. And so just like that coin went out through the Roman Empire to say, this is Caesar, he's the king, this is what he looks like, we bear the image of God. And God sends us out into the world to say, Jesus is king, and this, this is what he looks like. We bear his image, we bear his mark, and we belong to God because we bear his image. When Jesus tells us to give to God, what belongs to God, we must realize that Jesus is telling us that everything we have belongs to God. God made us. God created us. We bear his image. We belong to God. Everything is God's. And so it may be easier to ask the question, what don't we owe to God? Instead of outlining what we do owe to God, maybe we should ask, what don't we owe? If you believe what the Bible says, then you believe that God created you, that God sustains you, that he watches over you, that he has a plan for you, that he guides you, that he provides for you, that he helps you, he protects you, uh, he blesses you, he rescues you from sin and death and destruction. What don't you owe to God? Man, it would have been simpler if Jesus just said, you know, that coin, it's got Caesar's image on it, so you should give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Next question. But he didn't. He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. before you even get your mind wrapped around this, let me tell you, and give to God what belongs to God. And we bear his image. We belong to him. So rather than listing off, uh, uh, trying to list off things that I think we might owe God, I think it's better, we're better served by just making God, space for God to speak to us today. And so we're gonna close the, 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 the worship team's gonna come back and we're gonna sing a song together. And I just wanna invite you as we wrap up to, to, to invite the Holy Spirit to help you answer this question. Is there anything that I'm holding on to that really belongs to God? Is there anything that I'm holding on to that really belongs to God? What would it look like in your life to give to God what belongs to God? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus as king? Because that's the place we start. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus as king, then let me just say, why, why not today? Why not right now? Why not, as, as we close and we sing, just, just 
If you say, yeah, I'm ready to say yes to God and no to myself, I'm ready to make him king. I, I believe I do bear his image and I, I wanna transform the way I live. I'm ready to surrender my life to God. Just come up here and I wanna pray with you. But, but more than that, does God get the time that he deserves from you? Are you spending time with God? Does God have access to your money and your stuff? Are you willing to give to God when he asks you to invest in his kingdom? Does God have the final say in your relationships and in your choices and in your thoughts? Jesus said, give to God what belongs to God. And we quickly realize that we belong to God. We bear his image. He created us. He rescued us. He gave us our freedom and life. And so this morning, the challenge of Jesus still applies to us. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Pay, obey, pray, and give to God what belongs to God. Invite him to search you, to show you if there are any places in your life that are not completely surrendered to him because you belong to him. You bear his image. You bear his inscription. And he wants to send you out in the world to show the world what he's like. And the only way he can do that is if we're completely surrendered to him.
Jesus, it's your breath in our lungs. The scriptures say that you created man, that you formed us out of the dust of the earth in your image, and then you breathed your life into us. We carry your breath. We carry your spirit. We were created in your image. We bear your image in your inscription. We call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus. And so we pray this morning that you would help us, that you would send your spirit to search our hearts if there are places that we are incongruent with you, if there are places that the image is twisted or broken and it doesn't show the world what Jesus is like. Would you transform us? Would you rework us? And then, Jesus, would you send us out into the world to declare Jesus is the king and this, this is what he looks like. Help us to bear your image. Help us to be ambassadors. Help us to serve you, to serve our country wisely, to follow you and to to carry our responsibilities, to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but help us always to give to God what belongs to God. So come and transform us and rescue us and make us whole and use us for your kingdom's sake, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. Pray that you have a safe and happy week. Remember, there's nothing you could ever do to make God love you any more, and there's nothing you could ever do to make Him love you any less. He already loves you more than you could possibly imagine.